All right, and before we dive into our text this morning, we're about to spend some time praying together. And that is motivated by a really constant conviction that every time that we gather in this place, there are two things that are true. We believe the Word of God. We believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And so we're going to gather together every single week. We're going to gather together around the text of Scripture. And then we're equally as convinced that we need the help of the Holy Spirit of God week in and week out to understand that text of Scripture, to feel the appropriate things about that text of Scripture. And so we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to spend just a few moments and we're going to bow the knee and we're going to ask God to do that, to speak to us through His Word today. So let's pray. Father, we come together this morning in the name of Jesus. And we gladly take the posture of children in your presence, Lord. We are your children. We are your weak ones, Lord. We know nothing unless you teach us. We have no power unless you strengthen us. We have no righteousness and no good, no wisdom and no understanding apart from you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would use your word in our life today. We gather together in this place as disciples of Jesus. And our hearts, Lord, burn with the desire to know you more and to follow you more closely, Lord. And we pray that you would use this time to that end. Lord, it was prophesied about you that that of the increase of your government, there would be no end of your reign and your rule. And we pray, Lord Jesus, today that you would extend your royal reign, that you would extend your kingdom in our life. Have dominion, we pray, more and more over every heart and every mind. Lord, we pray that you would meet us here as we consider your words. God, that you would meet us here with spiritual power today. God, I ask you to help me, to stand by me and strengthen me, Lord, so that the message can be fully proclaimed. And I pray the same thing for my brothers and sisters today, that you would stand by them and strengthen them, Lord, so that the message could be heard. God, we need you. We need you, Lord. And we ask for your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. First thing we're going to do is read our text together this morning. I want you to turn there if you have your Bibles. Beginning in verse 17. This is what the Lord says to us today. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So that's it this morning. This is God's Word to Grace Community Church today. One verse of Scripture. You said, man, y'all are taking this slow down thing in Colossians 3 really serious. So this is it. This is all we're going after today. Is we want to understand that passage and we want to apply it to our life. One simple, short passage. We're going to spend a lot of time diving into into this together this morning. And I want to encourage us as we press into Colossians 3.17. I want to encourage us to keep putting Paul's aim before us. Every week we gather together and we study more and more of this letter. We know... That Paul is is putting pen to paper under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
And he pins this glorious letter to the Colossians. And we know that the main thing he is imparting to that church is Jesus Christ is supreme. He is supreme in every way that you can imagine. And why he is doing that to this group of believers is he wants the Lord Jesus to reign supreme in their life. And probably the easiest way to say that, just say it really simple and really quick, is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. As we come away from this letter, Christ is to be all to us. Christ is all. And so that's the aim as, as we gather together every single week. I want you to keep that before you in the forefront of your mind. How can we press in and study this letter in such a way that Jesus is everything to me? That Jesus' reign and his dominion is being extended in my life. That he is more supreme today than he was yesterday. So I want us to keep that aim before us as we continue to study through and finish out this letter. And there's something that's happening in verse 17. Verse 17 is closing out this section that began in, in chapter 3 verse 1. This very practical, general section of exhortation in Colossians. And so this is really closing that out. And when I say general, I mean commands that land on everybody in the same way. They're universal. Okay? And it transitions us, verse 17 transitions us into more specific commands that land on some of us in the body of Christ. For example, next thing we're going to be looking at together at Grace Community Church is how the supremacy of Jesus Christ lands on different members of a Christian family. It's not the same. It looks different. And so we're transitioning into a more specific section, but verse 17 closes out this more generic universal section. And what we see here in this verse is we are introduced to a spiritual principle that applies to every aspect of life. And I want you to think about how unique that is, even in a verse of scripture, that Bible verses have a context and they have a way that they can be used appropriately and inappropriately. Amen. And we're very familiar with the danger of what's called proof texting, of taking a Bible verse, ripping it out of its context and making it mean anything you want it to mean. Right. And we're aware of the danger of that. Well, we're given a gift in this passage that the scope of this would be hard to overstate in a sense that this is a universe. It can be applied in, in universal. It can be applied in Every circumstance that you ever face and every season of life that you ever find yourself in the midst of. And so the, 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 the scope of the command in verse 17 is massive. In fact, uh, that's, what, that's going to be the, one of the first things that we press into this morning. You can apply this, the principle that we find in verse 17 in every area of your Life. So I want you to be encouraged with that thought on the front end. Lord Jesus, if you teach me this well, if you teach me what's here well in verse 17, you mean that I can apply this day in and day out until I check out from this world. And that's what I'm encouraging. Let's lean in and let's listen to this well because you will never find yourself in a season, a location or a circumstance in your life on planet earth where these things are not at play. Where these commandments are not at play in your life. 
There's a New Testament scholar named J.B. Lightfoot. Listen to what he says about verse 17. He says, this is the great practical lesson which flows from the theological teaching of this epistle. And so that's really exalted language, right? He says, verse 17, the great practical lesson of the entire letter of Colossians. And I just, I just wanted to get your attention with that, that if we learn this letter well, if we are being instructed by the Holy Spirit with this letter, then our lives are, our lives are going to be marked by what we see in verse 17. And so we have prayed. I prayed for you just a moment ago. We prayed that we would listen, that, that God would extend his reign and his dominion in our life. And I think that we can trust the Lord to do that as we give attention to this one verse of scripture, one verse of scripture. Before we jump in, um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to spend some more time expanding the scope of the command in verse 17 and all the ways that it can be applicable. But I do want to say this on the front end, that there is one exception to that rule. It's universally applicable okay, in all kinds of situations, in all kinds of ways. But there is one exception to that. And the exception is this. Verse 17 is for Christians. Okay, It only applies to Christians. And so if you are here this morning, I want to do you a great service. Okay, I feel like there were many years in my life where I peeked my head into religious gatherings. And I felt like... You know, that that I was just expected to be integrated in and do what everybody else is doing. You know, they sing the songs. I sing the songs. They read the book. I read the book. They do this. I do this. This is what you do when you're a Christian. You read the Bible and you pray and you do these things. And nobody really ever confronted me in my life. And I want to lovingly do that to you this morning, that it is actually wrong to begin to try to live the Christian life. Without first responding to Christ himself. Okay. It is wrong for you to do that. And, and not in the sense of just wrong. It's impossible for you to do that. And so we just want to love you and, and, and say that. So if we're talking today about living in the name of Jesus Christ. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. Until you are first saved by the name of Jesus Christ. Salvation in Christ always, always proceeds obedience to Jesus Christ. This is the exact reason, the exact reason that the Lord Jesus looks to us and he tells us that you must be born again. If you are to inherit, if you are to see the kingdom of God and what that means is, is being a Christian is more than just doing stuff, more than just doing this or that. You actually have to have your mind transformed like you need surgery of the heart. You need that sinful, cold, callous heart ripped out and you need a fresh, tender heart from God, the Holy Spirit. And you say, how in the world do I do that? And you can't. It's something that happens to you through faith in the gospel. You have to be regenerated. You have to be born again. You have to be made new. And so how does this relate to our text this morning? Okay, we're going to talk about living for Christ. We're going to talk about being thankful and how this relates this morning is I want us all to be clear on this. You, you cannot be thankful. 
Okay, you cannot have a heart that's smart by thanksgiving until you first have a heart that has been broken over sin. And this is the way the kingdom of God works. Broken hearted over sin precedes thankfulness to Jesus Christ for what he has done for me on his cross. This is why Jesus in the Beatitudes, he says, what does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Those are the ones who are in the kingdom. Those who are the ones who are going to be comforted. And I just want you to know that today. Broken hearted before thankful. Okay. And then the other side of that is also true. Saved by the name of Christ prior to living in the name of Christ. And if there's anybody here today, and that is a that is a fresh word that you're just thankful. Like nobody ever told me that stuff before. I'm glad you said that. I don't want to be spending days and weeks and months, you know, jumping on the spiritual treadmill and doing this and this and this. And then all of a sudden I find out years, months, months and years later that I don't even have the power to live the Christian life. If that is you this morning, I just want to share a couple of verses of scripture with you. About the powerful name of Jesus. And I want it to be so clear of what God is calling you to do right now. And so I'm going to speak directly to anyone in our midst right now who is broken hearted over your sin. And you're not sure if you're a Christian. What do you do? What do you do? Let me share these verses with you. There is a name that was prophesied for centuries from the very beginning. And there is a name that if something happens in regards to that name, God has always promised to forgive our sins. Listen to Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Do you want to know what the Bible is about? It's about receiving forgiveness of sins through faith in this promised one. That's what, that's what it's always been about. The grace of God poured out in the name of Jesus Christ. And you know what they said about Jesus just prior to his birth in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. They said this. Let this be sweet, glorious good news to you. If you're here this morning and you're troubled about your sin. You've been made aware of the sinfulness of your sin. He was coming into the world and they said, call his name Jesus. And then they said, for he will save his people from their sins. And I want to encourage you to look at him. Look at him with faith. Look at zone in on Christ. Don't look anywhere else. He is all that you need. He's all that you need. You can't graduate past him. You can't go past him to any prophet. Okay? Don't look away from Jesus. Listen to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you look anywhere else this morning, you look to your own peril. All the grace of God for salvation is concentrated in Christ, in the name of Jesus and what he has done for sinners. And what does God promise for you this morning? If you look to him, if you trust him, if you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's promised to forgive your sins. 
He's promised to wash them away, to never remember them throughout eternity, to not hold your sins against you. But do you know that that's just the tip of the iceberg of the good news of the gospel? It's not just that you get a clean record before the judge and he sends you out of the courtroom and says, don't you mess up again. Look at what it says. If you respond to Christ with faith this morning, John chapter one, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God, now that is a glorious gospel. That is a glorious gospel to be called into the courtroom of God and to stand before the holy judge of all and to be cleared of all your sins on the basis of the finished work of Christ. And then after all of that takes place, that judge embraces you into his own family and the holy one becomes our father in Heaven. That's the gospel. That's the glorious grace of God that is available to you this morning through faith in Jesus Christ. And that comes first every single time. If you got Christianity of that, you have Christianity without a gospel, without a gospel. It's like the temple when the glory of God departed and they named it Ichabod. It has no power. It has all the forms of a religion and all the it looks like it from the outside, but it's hollow. It's empty. It comes first. That is the first demand that is laid upon every one of us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in his name. And then our passage tells every one of us who have done that. Every one of us who have taken shelter under the name of Jesus. It tells us. To live in that name in every sphere of life. To live in that name. That same name that saved us. That we live in that name. That we do everything in that name. First heading I want to spend some time on this morning. Is I want us to understand and notice how universal the scope of this commandment is in verse 17. So I'm going to read three phrases. Look down at verse 17. I'm going to just pick out three phrases, and here they go. Number one, whatever you do. Sounds pretty broad, okay? And just in case we're feeling stubborn, you know, not, not feeling slow this morning, not, not getting it, listen to this. Number one, whatever you do, okay? Number two, in word or in deed, okay? Whatever you do, in word or in deed. And number three, just to catch any sluggishness, okay? Do everything. So I want you to notice that repetition. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, okay? And I want you to notice that all three of those phrases, they're purposefully indefinite. It doesn't say do this thing in the name of Jesus or this thing in the name of Jesus. It's it's broad and it's purposefully broad. Because God wants to drive this into our hearts. That this is universal. So this morning, when we think about what should be flying into our minds as we're giving attention to verse 17. Lord, where would you you have me to represent you? Uh, In what what seasons of life would you have me to to do everything in your name? In what circumstances? And he's, he's so clear about this with those three phrases over and over and over again. 
The Holy Spirit wants every aspect of our lives to be brought before our eyes in this moment. Because Christ, as Lord of all, He's about to make a claim, a sovereign claim in every square inch of our life. And so there's not going to be any place where this doesn't apply. The scope is universal. Universal. Let's back up for just a second. Where are we at in Colossians chapter 3? Last week, if you were here, if you were not here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. It's tremendously encouraging. We spent some time about a corporate worship service. And what does the supremacy of Christ look like when it lands on a group of people who are gathered together in His name? And we saw that it looks like the gospel dwelling richly within us. Teaching and admonishing one another and giving praise to our God. So that was verse 16. And as we go from verse 16 to verse 17, we're walking out of a corporate worship service. A corporate worship service. So I want you to think about this. It is right and good that the Lord Jesus be magnified when his people, when his church gathers together in his name. It is right and good that he holds the place of supremacy in the corporate gathering. He's the head of the church. He's the firstborn of the dead. And we get that. And that is his rightful place. Not not two or three down, but he holds sway in everything when we gather together. But what verse 17 does is it tells us that his sovereign claims on our life, they do not end when we walk out of a corporate gathering. They don't. The Lordship of Jesus Christ does not stop on Sunday when we leave this place. He is about to make a sovereign claim on every square inch of our life. And so last week, this is a simple way to understand it. That corporate gathering, this is your Sundays. What do your Sundays look like when they're under the supremacy of Christ? But today we're going to talk about what does your Monday through Saturday look like when you are being reigned over by the Lord Jesus, when he is supreme in your life. And I want you to notice how um, neatly those things fit together, the Monday through Saturday and the Sunday stuff, because the Monday through Saturday, your life in Jesus Christ, Monday through Saturday It is actually the seal that makes your worship on Sundays authentic, authentic. And it either does two things. It either authenticates our worship as we gather together in his name or it undercuts our worship. And what I mean by that, if they're two separate stories, that's a problem. That's a problem. And so what he's going to do in verse 17 is going to press this in. In every corner of our life, Jesus is to be supreme, whether in word or in deed. Now, that's an amazing thing. Like, if you really counted up how many words you spoke in a day, I mean, that would be a lot. I have no idea. I have no idea what that would be. But it would be a lot. Some of you would be a whole lot. Okay? But it would be a lot. That's a lot of things. You're going to say a lot of things in one day. In one day. But think about every day. Think about your whole life and every word that you have uttered from your mouth. There's about to be a demand, a claim that Jesus makes on that. That those words are to be done, are spoken in the name of Jesus. Think about the same thing with the things that you do. 
one day. If you can name them all, if you can number them out. I mean, there are a lot of things. You're doing all kinds of things. All kinds of things in one day. And then think about the sum total of your life. All of your words, all of your deeds, everything is to be done in the name of Christ. In the name of Jesus. And so there's a doctrine that's sitting behind the command in verse 17 that I want to make sure that we all understand. Okay, Because once we understand the doctrine, it is completely fitting. We, we agree with verse 17. In fact, he deserves far more than that once we understand who he is. And the doctrine that's sitting behind this commandment in verse 17 is the doctrine of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. I want you to really think about what that means. Okay, What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? He is other things. He is our example. We should live like Christ. We should walk like Christ in this world. He is our Savior. He performed a work on our behalf and finished a work that will never be repeated. He is our Savior. But what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? That Jesus is Lord. And so I want to just give some attention to this for a moment. I want to remind us that the Christ of Scripture, you know, I say this often, but I think it is so helpful, is not the History Channel Jesus, right? He is the Lord of the cosmos, the one who made all things. He is the one who looks at his own disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Christ said that. So I want you to think about that. There's not an ounce, not an ounce of authority in the whole creation, whether in heaven or on earth, that Christ does not own. It belongs to him. You say, well, you're just making too much about the authority of Christ. And I say, impossible, impossible. He said all authority in heaven and on earth. Has been given to me. And we gladly worship him for that. Right? Our Christ has been given the name that is above every name. He sits in the highest place at the right hand of God. He is God's enthroned king. The ruler over all that he has made. He is Lord. He is Lord of the universe. And that's why he has the right to make these claims on us. I mean, think about that. Think about even even spheres of authority um, in this world. Think about your boss. Your boss at work gets to tell you what to do in some ways. Right. But it has limits. It has limits. Your boss doesn't get to tell you what to do when you're at home or how to relate to your spouse. If they do, they're crazy and you go find another job. Right. Like there's limits to his authority or her authority in your life. There are limits to it. But that doesn't play out with Jesus Christ. There are no limits to his authority in our life. None. No limits. Nothing is off limits to him. He is Lord of the universe. Lord of the universe. And I think one of the things that this doctrine of lordship, the lordship of Jesus Christ, is it pushes hard against what we're constantly hearing in our culture And what we're constantly hearing is you can do what you want on Sundays, but don't bring that stuff into Monday through Saturday. 
Like you've heard of separation of church and state, right? You know you're supposed to be keeping that stuff to yourself. And what the Lordship of Christ does with that idea of this rigid, secular, sacred divide is it just demolishes it. And we believe and we gladly uh, proclaim that Jesus has rights to make claims, not just on Sunday type things, but Monday through Saturday type things. In fact, he has rights to make claims on everything that he has created, everything that he has created. So I want to bring this in even more personal. That's what we're hearing from the culture of leave that stuff on Sundays, this rigid, secular, sacred divide. But even a, even a more personal temptation is a, to some degree, every one of us in Christ, we are tempted to, to compartmentalize our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And to give Him this much, or this much, or this much, and to hold whatever it is for you, to hold this thing back from Him. And what the passage wants to do this morning is wants to press in on that. And, it, and it's telling us, no, everything, everything, whether in word or in deed. And I just want to tell you this, okay? I know what this is like in my life to have an area of my life that is out of line with the lordships and the demands of Jesus Christ. And in fact, every one of us, if we're to get honest, we know what that's like. He who's, who says he's without sin is a liar. Okay, we know what it's like to have an area of our life that is outside of his sovereign rule at a particular moment or a season in life. And so maybe that's true for somebody here today. And I just want to encourage you with this. Okay, I don't know what it is. It could be many different things all across this room. Relationship with uh, a boss or a kid or a spouse. A difficulty that you face, whatever it might be, okay? A group of friends that you're running with, or some part of speech that you find yourself just over and over and doing the same thing. Whatever it is that just pops into your mind when you think about an area of my life that is outside the lordship and the reign and the dominion of Jesus Christ. I want you to identify that, and then I want us to hang a banner over that. And here's the banner, okay? It's a quote. From a man named Abraham Kuyper. Okay? Abraham Kuyper. So here's the banner. He says this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence. Over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine. And so I want us to gladly remember that today. Yes, Lord Jesus, I believe that. So we identify those places in our life. And I want us to be reminded by God, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus looks at those places. And the Lord of the universe says, mine, that is mine. I make a claim in that realm, in that sphere. And I want us to gladly respond to him. Yes, Lord, it is yours. Help us to submit. Help us to live in your name in whatever area that might be. That's the heart behind this. We'll press in to this authoritative claim to everything in our life. Every word and every deed. Now, let's back up for a second. I want us to see how beautiful and how appropriate that is. 
that Jesus would look at every square inch in, in human existence and all the created or, order and in every square inch of your life and say, mine, mine. I want us to think about how right that is, that he does that. Turn back with me to Colossians chapter 1. And I want us to be, be reminded of who Christ is this morning. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16, let's read that together. It says, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. That's who he is. Okay. That's as far from the history channel as you can get. The one who made all things for himself. And I want you to just notice two prepositions. Okay. The word by and the word for. And we have language, universal language. Everything that you can see, things you can't see. Things in heaven and things on earth. Everything was made by him. That means Christ is creator. He made everything out of nothing. All authority of the Genesis 1 creation. Jesus did that. Everything was made by him. And I want you to see this other preposition at the end of that verse. The word for. F-O-R. And not only did he display all of his power and all of his sovereignty in creation. We really believe this stuff. That Jesus made everything for himself. For himself, he made all that is for his own glory, for his own glory. And therefore, it is right. It is right that that Christ reign over every square inch of our life. The Christ who made it all for himself. So I want you to think about that. You're included there. Every one of us are included there. Jesus made you. He is your creator. And you are made for a Christ-centered purpose. You are made to magnify and glorify the Lord Jesus. And I just want us to gladly uh, trumpet that back to God. Yes, Lord, I believe that. And yes, Lord, that is glorious. That is a glorious banner that hangs over our life. Christ made me for himself. But it even, it even gets, gets uh, better than that. Or his authority and his claims, his sovereign rights, it even has stronger language than that in Scripture. Because right now we're arguing on the basis of creation. That the God who made you has rights to do with you what he will. He has creator rights in your life. So the one who made you, he has the right to make you for himself. He can do that. He can do that to all things. But I want you to think about also the Lord Jesus has rights and claims to make in your life, not only on the basis of creation, but also on the basis of redemption. And what I mean by that is Jesus owns us twice over. One would have been enough forever, but he owns us twice over. He made us and the one who made us bled and died for our sins. He made us and he purchased us. We are his. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. And just be reminded of this today, okay? You are not your own. 
You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And I want that to come as a reminder for us. Okay, It's something really good. Really, really good that happens in the human heart. When we are reminded we are not our own. We are not autonomous. Okay, We are reminded that Christ owns me. And I don't get to do whatever I want with my life. My life revolves around the Lord Jesus and His purposes for my life. Not only once. Not only once and now He created me. But He purchased me. He died for my sins. I belong to Jesus. And so we're in a constant fight to fight off that mindset. Of, uh, of I belong to myself or I am my own. And we say, no, we are not our own. We belong to Christ. We belong to Christ. And this is not bad news. Okay, When we talk about the Lord Jesus and all of His authority, leaning in and making a sovereign claim in every square inch of our life, this is not a killjoy. This is not, well, that sounds like bad news, just telling me what to do all the time. And I don't have any sphere of my life where I can think for myself and do what I want. This is not bad news for us. This is glorious good news. That Jesus would reign over everything. Not even a a little sliver outside of His sovereign reign in our life. You say, why in the world would that be such good news? And we say to all our unbelief in these moments, we say because this is what we were made for. Human life was created To be lived under the sovereign reign of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why we exist. This is the reason why time exists. This is the reason why planet earth exists. This is the reason why everything in all of creation exists. It exists for Christ. It exists for Him. There's nothing about it that's a killjoy. This is lining our lives up with the purposes of creation. And there's, no, there, there's nothing more satisfying than this. There's nothing more joyful than this than Jesus reigning over every square inch of your life. This is good news, not bad news. This is what we were designed for. Or you could say it like this. This is the path to maximum human flourishment. This is how human beings flourish because this is what they were made to do. To be reigned over by King Jesus, by King Jesus. So our purpose in this world is to magnify Jesus in every corner of our life. And then the text gets a little more specific. It says, do everything. And then here's the specifics in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's talk about what it doesn't mean first. Okay. This, does, this is not merely a commandment that you just say Jesus' name before everything you do. You know, in the name of Jesus, I shaved this morning. In the name of Jesus, you know, welcome uh, to the office today. Okay? I mean, you can get uh, anything you want. Just fill in the blank. That's not, that's not the meat of, of what is commanded here, that you just merely say it. That you just have His name before you do anything and everything. Not that that's not good in a lot of different you know, situations. I just want us to understand that something different is being communicated here than that. Okay, Something different. And the thing that's being communicated is not so much what you utter, but every sphere of your life being brought under the reign and the dominion and the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Okay? The picture here is that the totality of our existence is lived out in the name of Christ, for the glory of Christ, for the sake of Christ. So I want to just, um, just hang a couple of verses on this. What does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus? What does it mean? If you're to do everything in His name, word or deed, what does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus? And I want to mention just two things. Okay, And the first is this. It means doing something, whatever it might be, in dependence on the strength and the power of Jesus Christ. Now, you're not walking through this world, living in your own strength. You're drawing down His resources. You're living a life of faith in this world. You're depending on Christ for power. There's a couple of verses. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, Our Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us. O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So there's a man of God, and he's bowing the knee, and he's saying, We come against them in your name. Come against them in the name of the Lord. And what is that? That's a picture of a man coming against his enemies. With the strength that God supplies, not his own strength. He is depending on the strength that God supplies. One more text. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In your name. Same thing here. Okay. Those demons, they are subject to these disciples who are preaching the gospel. And they're not subject to, the, to them because they're, they're stronger. The disciples are not stronger than the demons. Why are they subject to the disciples? And the only answer is they have been clothed in the authority of Jesus Christ. And they are doing things in the power of Jesus Christ. To do something in the name of Jesus is to do something in the strength that Jesus supplies. Second thing. It means doing something with a motivation for the glory of Christ. A motivation for the glory of Christ. Doing it in Jesus' name is synonymous with doing it for Jesus' glory. And we know this, that many places in the Bible, these two phrases are synonyms. And they show up sometimes side by side or very close together. That God says things like, for my glory and for my namesake. For my glory and for my name's sake. Listen to Psalm 79 verse 9. He says, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. For the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for, the, for your name's sake. For your name's sake. And so when God does something for His glory... It's the same thing as God doing something for His namesake. And that same thing is true for us. When we do something for the name of Jesus, we do something for the glory of Jesus. One more text. Isaiah 48, verse 11. God says this, For my own sake, for my own sake I will do it. For how should my name be profaned and my glory 
I will not give to another. And so if we want to live and do everything in the name of Jesus, then we need the power of Jesus and we need a zeal in every circumstance that we're in that Christ be magnified in this situation, in this aspect of our life. We need a zeal for the glory of Christ in all of life. That's the commandment. Live in dependence on his strength with an aim to his glory. This is what it means to do something in his name. Now, I want to press into that for a moment. Okay. There's something real specific that I want us to take away, really encouraging that I want us to take away from this text. As a younger Christian, I had this is just one of many very bad mindsets that I had. Okay, as the Lord was shaping my mind with the word of God, there were some things I had wrong, things I had cross threaded. And one of the things was this, that I was convinced that I could glorify Jesus in my life. With a huge qualifier that I only saw the things that were overtly religious in nature that were glorifying to Jesus. Things like prayer, things like evangelism, things like disciple making or studying God's word or gathering with God's church. And if I were to be really honest with you in that season of my life, if I was not doing one of those things, I just felt like I was wasting my life. And my whole life revolved in in, in this grid of how can I do more of these things and less of these things. And that's wrong. That's wrong. I had a wrong mindset that Jesus, that that things could be done in his name, that, that things could be done for his glory that were only religious, overtly religious in nature. And so I want us to press in to this truth. okay? Because once this text and the things that we've said about it. Falls into place in our hearts and minds. We know that that won't fly. Okay. Jesus didn't tell us not just the Sunday stuff. Not just the overtly religious stuff. It's every word. Every deed. Everything done in his name. And so this is a liberating grid. That can fall on you. And set you free from that bad mindset. That everything in life. Can be done for the glory of Jesus Christ. Everything. Listen. Everything. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 talks about the most mundane things you can imagine. Listen to this. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 30, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so God has done something in his creation and in our life that there is nothing wasted in our life. You can go and sit down at lunch today and you can eat a sandwich and drink a Coke and glorify Jesus Christ. That is beautiful to me. That the most mundane things you can imagine are now acts of service and worship to Jesus Christ. He's not just the Sunday one that we worship. He's the one who all of life now revolves around. Everything. Everything is to be done in His name. So it doesn't get much more mundane than eating and drinking. I want you to think about all the things in your life that you often find yourself discouraged with. And I want you to be reminded today that all of those things can be done in the name of Jesus, in the power that he supplies and for his glory, for his glory. 
I want this to be an encouragement to you. Anything in your life can be done for the glory of Christ. Anything. You can love your spouse for the glory of Christ. God gives us one of the greatest gifts that he gives us is one like us, a compliment to us that's with us in every season. And you can love them for the glory of Christ. There's Christ-centered reasons why you feel those things that you feel for that person. It glorifies the Lord Jesus. If you are here and you are waiting on a spouse and you want to be married, you too can wait for a spouse and glorify the Lord Jesus in singleness in every season. It's not just one or the other. It's all things for His name. All things for His name. If you are in the last years of your life today, you can glorify Christ. You can glorify Christ in the last years of your life. And if you're a kid here today, listen to me. You can glorify the Lord Jesus as a child in this world. One of the things I tell my son over and over and over again, you don't have to wait till you're a Christian or an adult to serve the Lord and to be a Christian. Believe the gospel. Believe on Christ. You can be a child in this world for the glory of Christ, living in the power of Christ, for the name of Christ, single for Christ, married for Christ, everything. You can work blue collar, okay? You can be a plumber in this world for the glory of Christ. Do you know that? You can have a service-oriented job, blue-collar job, manual labor job, and you can glorify the Lord Jesus in this world. And the other, other side of that is just as true. White-collar world, you can collar world, you can glorify Christ. Doctors, lawyers, managers, you can glorify the Lord Jesus in every sphere that you're in. Student, you can glorify Jesus. Stay at home, mom. You can glorify Jesus Christ in all those hours that you're that you're clicking away. You can be a domestic engineer for the glory of Christ. Raising up arrows for the next generation. These are beautiful things that we can do for the glory of Christ. And you need listen, you need a really high view of what God has called you to do in this world. That I'm this for the glory of Christ. I'm this. Not just this is what I do. This is how I pay the bills. This is how I serve Christ. This is how I glorify Christ in my life. And I'll even say this. You can be unemployed for the glory of Christ. You can be looking for a job right now and glorify Jesus. Satisfied in Christ. It's not tied down to anything. All spheres, every circumstance in your life. Christ can be magnified. Magnified. Not just in overtly religious things. This is good news. Now we have something, the glory of Jesus, and we can rally under this banner. And we have something to keep us anchored in every season. Because it's automatic will of God. How can I glorify Jesus in this situation? How can I glorify Jesus in this circumstance? It's automatic. The glory of Christ can be pursued in anything except sin. That's it. You can do anything except sin for the glory of Christ. And you know what? I even need to qualify that because Christ and all of his sovereignty and his covenant love for his church. He even has a way of working our sins for our good and his glory that through our sins and our sinfulness, he magnifies the glory 
of His grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Romans chapter 5. So I'm not encouraged. You cannot sin and do it in His name. But even if you have sinned, Christ has claims. You can glorify the Lord Jesus in repenting of sin and mourning your sin. Anything can be done for the glory of Christ. I want us to press into this. You can labor and leisure for the glory of Christ. You can work it to the bone and sweat like a madman for the glory of Christ. And you can kick back and relax for the glory of Christ. Everything. You can do everything that you do. Conscious of the Lord Jesus. Wanting to magnify the Lord Jesus. And you can do it all for His glory. You can both prosper and suffer for the glory of Christ. You can pass through easy times and difficult times in your life for the glory of Christ. You can be tremendously successful for the glory of Christ. And you can have cancer for the glory of Jesus Christ. You can magnify Christ in whatever lot, whatever scenario you find yourself in. Jesus can reign in that season. Jesus can reign in that aspect of your life. You can drink a cup of coffee to the glory of Christ. And you can bang out an Excel spreadsheet at your cubicle for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? You can do that. You can do that. You can enjoy some beautiful panoramic view of the Rocky Mountains for the glory of Christ. Or you can walk into your boring, not well lit, windowless office and glorify the Lord Jesus. And both of those things. You can glorify Christ in every season. In every circumstance, you can hang out with your best friends to the glory of Christ and you can love someone who is exceedingly difficult for the glory of Jesus Christ. I even thought about this, just the rhythms of life. Look at all the things that we find ourselves in, all the different situations that we find ourselves in. You can sit in the front yard and you can watch your children play together and you can weep with joy for the glory of Christ that these kids that God has given you, this responsibility that God has given you to shape their life. And then just moments later, you can bawl your eyes out watching these dead little children in Syria suffering under tyrants and dictators. And you can do both of those things, celebrate and grieve at the, in the glory of Christ. You can do them in His name. So the question that I want to ask you Is what does that leave? These are all the rhythms of life. Every scenario that you could find yourself in. Happy, sad. Things are going your way. Things are not going your way. Vocation, leisure, work. Together in the church. Everything. Everything can be done in His name. And for His glory. And this is just a small taste of the rhythms that we face. Day in And day out. And we can do every single one of these things. Consumed with Christ. Consumed with Christ. And so the encouragement to you today. Is this. Look at at this beautiful opportunity. That we have been given. In every scenario we find ourselves in. To magnify the beauty. And the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So don't waste these things. Don't waste your leisure, your marriage, training children, your job. Don't waste any of it. Use it for the glory of His name. Use it for the end which God created it. 
Use it for the glory of Christ. And this is not only a command, this is a privilege for us. Look at what the Lord has called us into. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve to look around us and everywhere we look, we can magnify Jesus here and magnify Jesus here and magnify Jesus here. What do we deserve? The only thing we deserve is to be crushed by the wrath of God for our sins. And Christ died for us. And even more than that, now we can magnify the worth of Christ in all of life. This is a great privilege living for the glory of Christ in every season. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. This is our life pursuit. This is the banner that hangs over everything we do. And I want to add one more thing. The text adds one more thing. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Through Him. So we have this, this picture of everything done for His glory. And then these words are just snuck in there. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I want you to do something real quick. Turn back to Colossians chapter 1 again. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Paul sketches out four characteristics of a life that pleases God. And so listen, I I know the majority of people that I'm talking to in this room, you are believers. And that means that you love God. And that means when somebody tells you, you have an opportunity to please God. You're all ears. You're leaned in. You're listening. Okay. And he gives us four marks of a lifestyle that is pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. Let's read them beginning in verse 10. Number one looks like a life pleasing to God looks like bearing fruit in every good work. We're all in there. We know that, man, things need to be done. There's work that needs to be done. There's fruit that needs to be uh, produced. And the Lord is pleased in that. Makes sense to us. Number two, increasing in the knowledge of God. I think we're there. I think we, we grab that. It makes sense to us. that Man, if I want to please God, I need to know God. And God is pleased when I'm walking further and further into His glorious perfections and who He is. Number three, strengthened with all power. I think we're there too. That God is not pleased when I do things in my own strength. I need the strength of the Holy Spirit in my life if I'm to do things that please Him. And then I want all your eyes on that fourth mark and it's this. Giving thanks to God the Father. Giving thanks to God the Father. And so this is how central gratitude is in the Christian life. Okay, And I want you to just be really honest. If, I, if, I, if you were given the pen and the paper and you were to say, write out four distinguishing marks of a life that is pleasing to God. Would thanksgiving may, would it have made your top four? It's side by side with you knowing God, being strengthened with God's power. And being fruitful for God in this world. He just sneaks it on the very end. Oh, and giving thanks to God the Father. And that's the question for us as we think about the supremacy of Jesus in all of life. How important is that for you? That in every circumstance that you find yourself in, that you are filled with thanks to God. Let me sharpen this just a little bit. There's a parallel passage in Ephesians 5. It says the same thing in a different way. And it gives us the scope. It gives us a little more vivid detail about the scope of this gratitude. So listen to verse 20. Ephesians 5 verse 20 says this. 
Giving thanks always and for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything. Now, I want you to really think about that, okay? Because in one sense, we don't struggle with that at all. In the sense of agreeing that there are good things that God has given us in life that we should be thankful for. But the other side of that is where we struggle. What about the things that are not so pleasant? What about the difficulties in life? What about the things in life that we didn't plan and we wouldn't have wrote things out like this? That's where we have so much trouble being thankful for those things. And I want you to see that. It's a commandment to give things always and for everything. For everything. And so there's no, I don't want us to, to I don't want us to misunderstand it. But I also don't want us to weasel out of this. Okay? And I don't know a better word to say that. Like we should be thankful for everything and in every season. And the part that we struggle with that is the difficult things. And I just want to say this. Should we be thankful for very, very difficult things? Should we? You think about that. I'm talking about difficult things. Trouble in marriage. Terminal sickness. I'm talking about difficult things. Should we be thankful for those things? Go to the bottom of suffering. Some of your brothers and sisters are there now. Should you be thankful for those things in your life? In your life when something happens to you that's unplanned? And the answer to that is yes and no. Okay? The verse clearly tells us that yes, we should be thankful for those things. But listen to me. Okay? Here's where we struggle so much. Is that God's word, it does not call us to be thankful for those things in a vacuum. Okay? It's not in a vacuum. You don't walk in your prayer closet with no other realities and just thank God for those things. They never come by themselves. Those difficulties and those hard things, they never come by themselves. There are other realities at play. And this is why we thank God for them. One of the things that's at play is every difficulty that makes its way into your life got there through the sovereign hand of God. He planned that. He brought that difficulty in your life. And so one of the things that helps us to receive even bitter medicine or hard things from God is that that he rules over all things and he is wise and he is good. But even more. Of what's helpful for us to thank God in these very difficult seasons. Is there are very specific promises in the word of God. That he has promised to do something in our life. In those very difficult seasons. And we can trust him for it. And that's where the thanksgiving is birth. Listen to this. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. God promises to work. All things for good for those who love God. And so why can, how can we thank God in the midst of all these difficulties? It's because we believe God that as real as that difficulty is, I believe the word of God that God's going to use this for my good. So one of the things that we have to be aware of, we're going to walk in thankfulness, is the sovereignty of Christ. He is able to take the most difficult, the most sad, the most unplanned circumstances in your life and work them for good. And work them for good. One more thing that I think we need to be reminded of. We're walking in thanksgiving to God. And I want to 
draw your attention to one word, and that word is through. We are to give thanks to God the Father through Christ, through Him. So we're thinking about the sovereignty of God in the midst of difficult things and being thankful and growing in this. And that word through draws our attention to a work of Jesus Christ that, that's called mediation. Okay? For something to be done through Christ means that something is being mediated by Christ. And this is part of his high priestly ministry. That he is the mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 says this. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. That's it. Okay? There's no other mediator between us and God, only Jesus. And so listen, this is so encouraging to me. I pray this will be a help to you. Have you ever been wondering, just thinking to yourself, have you ever wondered how imperfect acts of obedience okay, can please God? So if you think about your acts of obedience long enough, things like prayer and evangelism and worship, studying scripture, loving your spouse, raising your children, Christ-like in all these scenarios. If you think about your obedience long enough, you know it. You just know it more than anybody else on the planet. You know that your obedience is imperfect. It's imperfect. And yet we also know that we can actually please God. That we can bring Him pleasure. That He takes joy in our obedience to Him. How do these things work? How can these things both be true? And the answer that reconciles those two realities is the mediation of Jesus Christ. That our imperfect obedience is passing through our perfect mediator. And so God is relating to us and to our obedience on the basis of and through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is our priestly mediator. This is part of his priestly ministry. I'll read this verse. This is from Exodus chapter 28. I think this probably better than anywhere else that I'm aware of. Get, gets, just puts meat on this reality of Jesus is doing something for us. Christ is doing something for us. Listen to this verse. Exodus 28 verse 38 it shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. And it shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. What Aaron does is a picture of what ultimately Jesus does. And what we're told in this text of Scripture is that the high priest is bearing the guilt, listen close, not of the filthy things, but of the holy things, of the holy things. So you think about those things in your life, the holy things, the things that you would bring to God. Things like prayer, things like worship, what I'm doing right now, preaching the word, what you're doing right now, listening to God's word. All those holy things in your life. There's impurities and guilt that need to be removed from them. And we get a picture here. Jesus is doing that for us. Jesus is adding incense to our prayers. He's taking the guilt away from our holy things. And what that encourages me to do, and I want it to encourage you to do, is it encourages me to bring my weak obedience to Jesus Christ. It encourages me to bring all my weakness and to lay it before Him. And allow Him to perfect it and sanctify it. 
And the reason I want to say that today is that if there's anybody here and the other side of that is landing on you, that you hear about these sovereign claims of Jesus in all of life and thankful for everything in every situation. And if your conscience is stung by those things, there can be a wrong way that you process them, that you just feel like you have to have everything in order. Everything has to be perfect before you can go to God. Before you can bring your obedience to God, your thanksgiving to God, your worship to God. And I'm just encouraging us that we do things through Him. And that means we can bring all of our imperfections. The the aim that we're going after as we walk out of this place today is not perfection. We are aiming for sincerity. I want to respond to Jesus Christ today in sincerity. I want to respond to His claims Of supremacy and dominion in my life in sincerity. I want to respond to his claims and his command to be thankful in every season. And I want to respond in sincerity. In sincerity. And we have a picture here that the Lord Jesus purifies that. We lay it at his feet and he purifies it before God the Father. And so I'll close with a question and a verse. And the question is this. What would it look like for you to respond to this text? With tremendous sincerity before God. That Jesus would reign over you. Reign over you. I'll close with this verse. Micah chapter 4. Verse 5 says this. For all the peoples walk. Each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of our Lord. God forever and ever. Amen. That's our boast. Let's pray. Father, we gather together in your name and around your word today. And God, I ask you to use it for your glory and to use it to bear fruit in our lives, Lord. God, we just tell you that we need you in every season of Grace Community Church for profit, for edification, for holiness, for growth, for Christ-likeness. There's nothing, Lord, that we face As a church that we don't need you. Lord we need you. So we ask you God to do whatever it takes. To get our attention. To woo us Lord. To shake us from coldness. Do whatever it takes God. Reign supreme in our midst. Reign supreme in our life. Take the highest of places. You are the head of the church. And we worship you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.